Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're just joining us online or you're here in person. I just want to say welcome to Sunday morning service at Sunridge. I see people still walking in. My good friend Wayne is here today. Thank you, Wayne. He doesn't want to be noticed. This is Wayne, you guys, and his wife, Sue. <laughs> Uh, so good to see you guys. You know, um, if, if I'm not a familiar face to you, uh, you should be grateful. But uh, my name is Britt. I serve here as a lead pastor. And uh, I just hope that you guys are ready for Thanksgiving, that you're getting skinny Monday through Wednesday so you can really kick it in on Thursday and have a great time. I hope that uh, and pray that you have a wonderful time with family and friends and you have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, we uh, are in a passage of scripture we've been studying week after week, and we've been starting by reading it together. So since I have you guys all standing, I'd like to turn your attentions to the screen. And uh, I want us to read part of the passage that we've just been looking at over and over again. You know, I th I'm not trying to give you a sermon before the sermon, but do you remember like ninth grade science where they lit a fire, a flame, and you just had to make observation after observation about it? It's yellow part of it's blue and it's like no keep going you had to keep looking at that flame and making your observations that's a great picture of what we can do with scripture and that's why we've been sinking and soaking in this uh this passage of scripture in this series we've called reach so let's read together since then we know what it is to fear the lord we try to persuade others what we are is plain to god and i hope it is also plain to your conscience we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. That's my bad in the slides that I give these folks. Uh, let's pray and then we'll be seated and we'll get started. God. Thank you for uh, your word that you've preserved over these centuries, and it speaks truth to us. It's reliability, 
And for the people that dedicated themselves to making sure that it was protected and that it came from you and that founded with your son, Jesus, this thing we call Christian faith. And uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would meet with us today as we talk about how to do that better as, as Jesus' followers. Amen. Thanks a lot, you guys. Take a seat. Thanks for the table, Jed. Unquestionably, um, Christians in the first century were focused on spreading the gospel to the known world. So first of all, think about Jesus. Over his three-year ministry, he traveled from town to town, teaching and making disciples and inviting people to come and follow him. And the disciples followed Jesus' example right after that. In fact, they traveled even further beyond Palestine, sharing the good news of Jesus and uh, the resurrection, and again, inviting people to convert to Christianity. They were intentional about the call that God had given them in Acts 1-8, where it says to be witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then the Apostle Paul, soon after his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, he leads three missionary trips uh, to Syria, Turkey, Europe, and Italy, and the express goal of those trips was to share the gospel and establish churches. So it should come as no surprise to those of us who call ourselves Christians today that Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, a church he founded on his second missionary journey around 50 AD, when he says in verse 11 of chapter 5, we try to persuade others. Now, unfortunately, when many Christians hear that phrase today, we try to persuade others, it surfaces all kinds of negative emotions, like fear and disappointment. For some of you, you experience anxiety. Some of you, even anger. And because when it comes to being persuasive in our culture today, some of us have some pretty challenging visions of what that might look like. For instance, we think of slide holders like this. And, uh, you know, we think, okay, is that what it means to be a witness and to persuade others? Or others, you know, another version is what I call the bullhorn guy. That guy that's in, in some, uh, you know, social event like a ball game or something and he's shouting at everybody with a big sign. Or even though I don't have a slide for this vision I have, you've probably seen that super pushy Christian person um, that has no intuition or emotional intelligence that's cornering everybody at the gym or at a party and trying to get them to pray the sinner's prayer right there. Or maybe you're thinking of one of the so-called Christian pundits we have today who are telling it like it is, and they do that by denigrating people and ridiculing people that are far from faith, and they call that being a witness. Or maybe some of you that were servers in restaurants at some time in your life, you've experienced that Christian who leaves a gospel track for you instead of a tip after you've served them so well. In fact, ask any server, and all, of my, all three of my daughters were servers in different restaurants in this town. The worst day to serve is Sunday, and the worst time is right after church. Shame on us, change that, Christians. So how many of you, when you think of persuading others to faith, have something like I've just expressed in your mind? You, you have that memory or you, you, you can think of that. That is a false picture of what it means to persuade others. 
And it's far from what Paul is talking about here. You know what's strange is that idea of persuading others has become a turnoff for both the unchurched and Christians as well. In fact, the word evangelism has kind of become a Christian curse word, if we're honest. And because of that, many, many Christians have just thrown in the towel when we start talking about sharing your faith. You're not even going to try. And some of you, some Christians today, have even developed kind of like a belief system or even a theology that prohibits you from being a witness. The question that, that I have is how could something that was so fundamental in being a witness of God's grace in the world in the first century become so discombobulated, that's in the Greek, um, of what it really means to persuade others to faith in Christ. And what is being persuasive about faith really supposed to look like? And that's what I want to talk about today. We're in this series that, we've, that we're calling Reach, and it, again, is a study, an in-depth study of this passage. We've just been looking at it and pulling out phrases each week, thoughts. And so far, we've seen that when people believe in Jesus, when they do so, they're not just making a reservation in eternity for a better location. Uh, and so I just want to give you a quick review of what we talked about so far in this series. Number one, we said that we are being made into the new creation. Jed talked about that, how that the renovation God does in us uh, begins immediately. There's a demolition right away, the old is gone, and then there's the start of the renovation process, the new is here. Secondly, we talked about this thought that comes again right out of the passage, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That is, there's a different lens to look at people. As God m m changes us from the inside out, He's changing the way that we look at people. And that's what the REACH acronym is all about. It is recognizing each as Christ has. That's what the whole REACH thing is about. And then last week, Jed uh, talked about our third thought, which is Christ's love compels us. And that comes right out of 2 Corinthians 5.14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. In other words, as Christians, we know that Jesus gave his life for sinners. And it's the part of that that compels us to become the new creation and to be a part of what God's doing in the world. Is it's God's love. It's Christ's love compelling us to do these things in our world, in our day and time. So, of course, and fourth, what I'd like to talk about today is we try to persuade others. Now, it's important that those first three values or the first three thoughts that come out of the scripture are like, they're foundational to what we're talking about today. Because as I've already mentioned and you have experienced, um, there are some really bad examples of how to persuade others out there. And it's, it's my thought, and maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't, but basically it comes down to People are trying to persuade others disconnected from these first three thoughts that Paul talks about, of Christ's love compelling us, that we don't look at people through a worldly lens, and that God is doing something in us through the whole process. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do for me today. As we talk about persuading others, I'm going to ask you, lower your barriers. 
Okay, just trust me that I'm not going to ask you to do something weird at the end of this message, okay? And as I talk, don't load up what I say with all kinds of assumptions. Well, he means this and he means that. So let's just try to start over today. That's what I'm going to ask you to do with me. And here's what I'd like to do in the process. I want to I set like a biblical foundation. We're going we're gonna to take our thoughts right from the Apostle Paul today. And uh, so it's going to be a little theology, and then we're going to get to some actionable points as we've been doing through this series. And we're going to talk, basically, I'm going to try and address three things today. What, what does it mean to persuade others? And then secondly, I, I want to talk about what is it that we're persuading others to? What's the goal? And then lastly, I want to talk about how do we persuade? What, what is the strategy or the underpinning principles of what Paul says here that kind of informs us of how to be persuaders? So let's first of all, let's talk about the word in itself. Like anybody can Google this. I know this isn't rocket science here. But persuade means to cause someone to do something through reason or other means. So you get it, right? But... The way, the way this, the, the word that's used here, it means to constantly, it's a sustained effort to do so. Because in the verse previous, Paul revealed the stakes, why he feels that we must be persuasive. It's verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So Paul's acknowledging here that God is just and there's judgment and that God holds human beings accountable for the way they live. So then his logic follows in verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We, we know that this is something that's going to happen. We try to persuade others. And, you know, Paul was known for this, for persuading, trying to persuade people to follow Jesus. Acts 18.4, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And then back to the passage we're looking at here in verse 11, Paul says, yes, we are trying to persuade you. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So that's kind of a confusing couple of sentences here. What is going on? Paul, in the first century, he was accused of trying to be so persuasive in his message, in taking the gospel, that, that his detractors, the Judaizers, the Pharisees said, you're only trying to pre please people with your persuasion. This was an accusation that came from the Pharisees. Basically, they said, Christian faith is too easy because it doesn't require the need to become Jewish and to follow all of our traditions. So here, Paul is not denying that he's, that, um, that he's trying to persuade people of the good news. He's saying that I do so, but with a clear conscience. And Paul is inviting them to follow Jesus through the gospel, not the legalism of the Jewish tradition in the first century. 
So if becoming a Christian, becoming the new creation, uh, includes being someone who God is forming into a person who is persuading others, what is it that we're trying to persuade people to? That's my second question. Let's look again at what Paul wrote in verse 17. It'll be up on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself and not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So leave that, leave that verse up there just a little bit. Is there a word that repeats there? Do you see it? Someone say it out loud. Reconciliation, right. To, reconciliation means to restore to favor or to reunite. It's, it's to go from being an enemy to a friend, to being estranged from someone, to oneness. And it implies that there was a previous relationship that was broken that is now patched up. So typically when we think of reconciliation, we think of mutual reconciliation, right? Like when, you, like, uh, when you're in your marriage and you, you've been in a big fight or maybe you've separated and you go through a reconciliation process or you say, we reconciled to one another. And then when that is impossible in your marriage, what do they say? We're getting divorced because we have irreconcilable differences. Or you might be thinking of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.23 where he talks about reconciliation. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So the context there, what Jesus is saying, is you've come to worship God. And when you're there in the presence of the gathering, you realize something comes to mind. You realize something isn't right between me and another person. So you're to go to them and resolve that conflict between, between the two of you. But as you know, it takes two to tango, right? It requires both parties to come to an agreement or to meet in the middle. That's mutual reconciliation. But that's not what pa the word Paul is using here. In fact, Jesus and Paul use entirely different words when they say, when they talk about reconciliation. In this case, all the reconciliation is done by one party. Verse 17 again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So who did the reconciling work in our broken relationship? God, good answer, good answer. Don't be afraid. They, I know, anyway, I won't make a joke. <laughs> I, get, I get myself going sometimes, I'm sorry. Um, God reconciles us. He does the work through Jesus Christ. So we are reconciled to God through Christ. Now what does that mean? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Paul is saying, in the, in the reconciliation that God did in our conversion to Christianity, he's saying that the relationship between human beings and God was broken because of sin. But the work of God through his son, Jesus, did the reconciling work. Those that are in Christ, is the phrase that Paul used, are reconciled, and he says, 
Their sins do not count against them. God has broken down that separation that is caused by sin between us and God. Now, without accepting the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross, we are condemned by our sinfulness, the Bible says. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him, in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a really important point to grasp here. Because here, the gospel is this. I say this all the time. The gospel is that no one is so far from God that God's love can't reach them. And no one is so morally good that they don't desperately need God's grace to save them. So under that contract, uh, construct, nobody, nobody could say, oh man, uh, if you only knew who I was or what I've done, I, I don't belong here. God, God is not interested in me. That, that's like, that's totally not the gospel. On the other hand, no one can say, oh man, I'm such an awesome person. God is so fortunate that I became a Christian and, and allowed him into my life. Neither one can be true. And that is good news, isn't it? If you feel far from God, there's nothing that you've done that God won't forgive. God loves you just, just the way you are. And for those of you that are trying to earn your way, you're thinking it's my moral goodness that will keep me in good favor with God, you're off the hook as well because you can't be good enough. And in fact, God isn't looking for you to be good enough to get, gain his favor and his acceptance. That's the gospel. You know, Jesus uh, commemorated that, that, those thoughts that I gave you in just in the Last Supper. And today we're going to take communion right in the middle of the message because I want us to stop and allow this to really sink in on us. If you have not gotten one of our little communion cups, we have, they're in the back. And uh, while I talk a little bit, you could go and get one or we have ushers that can bring them up. If you would like someone to bring you one, if you could just raise your hand or feel free to get up and, and go as, as well. It doesn't really matter. Uh, we do this at least once a month as a church, and it's just a reminder of, of what God has done for us. That none of us are so far from God that he, his love can't reach us, and none of us are so awesome that we don't need his love to reach us. So when Jesus was at the Last Supper, he took two things, the bread and the wine, and he said, these represent the story of the gospel, that his body was broken, which is the bread, and then as he, and he passed the cup around, and they drank of it, and he said, this, this is my blood, which is shed for you. So the, the gospel is contained in this, it's symbolized in this little thing that we do with a plastic package thing and a piece of styrofoam stuff, whatever this is. <laughs> they say it's unleavened bread, but I don't know. I think I can make a Christmas ornament out of it or something, but, um, but we're going to do it anyway, you guys. So, um, Jesus' body broken for us, church. And his blood shed for us.
Let me pray before we go on. God, we, you know, we've become so used to it. <clears throat> it can become just kind of like every day, but we're just grateful that we have this little ritual that kind of stops us in our tracks and reminds us of how much you love us and the way you prove that to us. We're grateful for your grace to us, God. Amen. So that's the gospel. And we are reconciled to God through Christ. But that's not the end of the story. Let's look at it again, verse 18. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So God is making us into something new. And in doing so, he's given us two assignments. That's, do you see them? As you look at that couple of verses, he's given us two assignments. One is, Paul says he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And then secondly, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. These two assignments fill out more completely what God is doing in us in regard to like our impact in the world, how God is creating us to be something new, and how we persuade others to Jesus. So then, <clears throat> we persuade others by becoming an instrument of reconciliation, an instrument of reconciliation. Paul says that because God reconciled him, it naturally flows that he is now an instrument for God's reconciling of others in the world. As people who have experienced God's grace through the reconciling work of Christ, God invites us to help others to experience that as well. And we are a church that is helping people find and follow Jesus. And some of you are like, maybe because of your experience, maybe because of your personality, maybe because of um, misconceptions that have built up among Christians, you're, you're thinking, I, I can never do that. that. That's not my thing. I'm not gifted at that. I don't know enough. I'm, it's like, don't talk to me about that, Brit. What I, what I want to stress here is you and I, as God's people in the world, we are God's instrument. We are God's instrument. In the 1800s, <clears throat> Niccolo Paganini was the most celebrated violin virtuoso of his time. And this is a true story. <clears throat> it's on Wikipedia, so it has to be true. <laughs> he was performing one evening before a packed concert hall, and he's surrounded by his full orchestra, and as he began to play one of his final pieces, one of, his, one of the strings on his violin snapped. And for him, a master, it was a minor inconvenience. So he just improvised, and he continued to play on three strings. And a moment later, later a second string snapped. Undeterred, Paganini continues to play on just two strings. Then a third string snapped. And 
Paganini continued to play, and he finished the piece with one string on his violin. And when, the, when he was done, he gets this big standing O. People, people go crazy. And um, so he's in the moment, and so, you know, history says he was a humble man, but he, he stood up in front of him, and, and for his encore, he said, Paganini in one string. And he played his whole encore, note for note, on that one string on his violin. See, the point I'm making here is, it's not so much about the instrument, it's about whose hand it's in. Whose hand are we in? Now you, you might be a four string instrument. You might be a three string or a two string or even just a one string. But the thing that all of us need to remember is we are in the hands of the master violinist. We are in God's hands and he is so skilled that he can use every one of us in just the way that he intended to do it because we are an instrument in his hand. We are an instrument of reconciliation. So what does that look like? Well, it comes again right out of the passage. It's two sides of the same coin. What does it mean to be an instrument of, re of reconciliation? Number one, I want you to see that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's verse 18. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That word ministry is diakonoi. Uh, it's, it means to serve. So he's given us the service. We are the servant of reconciliation. It's, it's the word, that's where deacon comes from in the church, this word. Uh, it was, they use that in common everyday language to describe a table server. And I don't know if in the first century Christians were plopping down gospel tracts and set of tips on those table servers, but that's what we're talking about. Someone who just takes care of household duties. The ministry or the service of reconciliation is to live out the gospel. It's to serve others. So think about the ministry or the service of reconciliation being like the music that is played, the instruments, the, the melody of a song. And you know, most songs ha are made up of two parts, right? There's the music and there's the lyrics. I've said this before. There's just two parts to a song. And for you to like a song, you have to like both. You're not going to listen to the words of a song if you don't like the music. How we live is the music. It is the ministry of reconciliation. And a life that is centered on the gospel is beautiful music. What does it mean to play the music of the gospel? We can look at Jesus, right? And he lived in this relatively small part of the world. And even though that it was small, it was, just, it was diverse, just like our world today. Jesus hung out and played the music for people from foreign backgrounds, people who were religious that weren't religious, the Romans who were polytheistic, uh, the Syrians who worshipped uh, different pagan gods like Baal and Ashtoreth, Jesus hung out with the poor and the rich, the powerful and the nobodies, the interested and the hostile, and he even hung out with those who openly opposed him and threatened him. And how did Jesus play the music for the people around him? He healed the sick. He delivered the oppressed. He fed them. He praised them for their great faith. 
He told stories that demonstrated the virtue of who they were, even though they were very different from him. And he built bridges to them. He didn't burn them. What didn't Jesus do as he played the music? He didn't stay isolated from people who were ideologically opposed to him or saw the world differently. He didn't follow the common prejudices and stereotypes of his own religion. He didn't condemn people. And he didn't slander people for their moral decay. And I can't help but wonder if one of the problems of the persuasiveness of Christians or the lack thereof is that often in the church today, we're less interested. People, people today are less interested in church and the gospel because they don't like the music Christians are playing today. I mean, think about what first attracted you to church or to the gospel it probably wasn't someone that was ridiculing you for what you believed or the way that you lived or what political party you belonged to. They, they probably weren't yelling at you to, that you were immoral or throwing your broken family in your face. And it wasn't someone who avoided you at all costs because you were different than them. Is that the music that would interest you in the words of the gospel? See, the music is so important. Now, I'm going to date myself here a little. I've, I'm pretty old, and I've, I just dated myself. Some of you can't tell that, but if you get up close, you can tell. And uh, there's been, I listen to all kinds of music. And, I, and so I'm going to offend somebody with what I say, but like, do you guys know what screamo music is? Anyone familiar with this, screamo? Okay. If, um, let me, in, for those of you that don't know, I want to play you a clip of screamo, Okay. <laughs> So buckle up. Can you roll the screamo? <laughs> so I know I offended like three of you, so you can send me your email. Dude, screamo's awesome, but it's not. It's not. Um, now, that drummer is awesome. That drummer is amazing. But um, you couldn't even understand the words. But would you want to listen to them? Mostly, okay. Three of you do. You're like, oh, I totally know that song. Um, the Ministry of Reconciliation is about building bridges to people so they can experience God's grace. That's what Paul says in his first letter to, the, to Corinth, uh, 9.19. Though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Verse 22, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. So Paul says, like, my life is about this. It's about playing the music for people that are around me. Because how we live and how we speak to and of others affects their openness to the gospel. And if we're not playing beautiful music and if we're not around people, we can't share the words of the gospel. And I love, man, we have stories in this church of people who do this so well. Our middle school pastor, Craig Winger, the, he and Julianne are amazing. 
in there, what they do with students. But this past, last summer, Craig, Craig entered kids. He coached a team of middle schoolers in basketball in a basketball league. And he drew all these middle schoolers in to be a part of that. He played the music. Many of you um, serve in some of our community outreaches, like Community Mission of Hope. And you spend time over there interacting with people and playing the music. Some of you, you know your neighbors really well. You've invited them in. You're taking them on vacation and camping trips with you. Uh, you're hanging out with them. And they're not Christians. And you're just like showing them who Jesus is. So most of us have jobs that are here today. And uh, most, most of those jobs are not in a church somewhere. You're, you're out there working among all kinds of people. Some Christian, many not. And in that work environment, you're, you're doing the best job you can. If you're a teacher, you're like teaching those kids. You're prepared and you love them and you listen to them and you, let, you make sure that they're known. If you're in business, you're doing that excellently with character. And that whole time, the way you're doing your life is playing the music for people. That's what it means to have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, there's another part of this that's important as well, and this is number two. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So we have the ministry of reconciliation and the message. And if, if Christians are playing the music of the gospel, then, it, then people are more likely to listen to the words. And as, and as I've mentioned already, in fact, if... Um, it's the only way you'll ever have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody if you're living it. It's interesting, the word Paul uses here to describe this role in verse 19, he says, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And that word means that he gave it to us and then he backed away. It's like, here, I was doing this, now you do it. This part is yours. I love, you know, we, we've given this quote many times. St. Francis of Assisi, he wrote, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I love that. But you know, it does take words, eventually. First living it, then sharing it with words. And like music, the tone of our words matters. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Paul says, when we give our words, the tone of our words is not quarrelsome, but kind. Gently instructing. Why? Why, why does he... Why is he so careful about this? But he's concerned that they would, that, that knowledge that they would receive would, would be the truth, that they'd be open to the knowledge of the truth and that they would accept the gospel and the hope that it brings. You know, if we really want people to find and follow Jesus, then our words and our lives need to reflect the love of God, the love God has for people. And I love how the prophet Isaiah puts this. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. In other words, the good news is beautiful. It's wonderful. 
and so are those who bring it. And again, I'd point you to Jesus. You know, remarkably, Jesus didn't go around preaching a lot. He had a lot of spiritual conversations with the people that he was surrounded with. He played the music and he lived out the gospel, but Jesus didn't initiate most of the conversations that he had. By far, the greatest majority of them are people, the other party, starting a spiritual conversation with Jesus. Rich young ruler, a a demoniac, a synagogue ruler, a hemorrhaging woman. Very few conversations that Jesus had took place in a religious setting, too. They happened at parties, at weddings, and other social gatherings, at a government facility with Pilate. And many occurred in homes, Peter's house, Zacchaeus' place. And the majority of Jesus' interactions occurred at work or doing life with James and John, the Samaritan woman, the lame man. So really, when we look at Jesus, so many of our Our stereotypes of what it means to persuade others are dismantled. Like walking up to strangers, holding signs, a bullhorn on the corner, having to have that perfect intro line to prompt a conversation at a party or cornering someone and making sure they hear all four points of the gospel. It comes down to our hearts comes down to, do I really see myself as an instrument of reconciliation in the world? Each week we've shared a value that our staff worked on uh, in the last year of what's important to us? What do we, like what are the values that underpin the way we're going to persuade others at Sunridge? And here's, I'm going to put this one up on the screen. We believe that God has called us to be as intentional about helping people find Jesus as we are about helping them follow Jesus, acknowledging that all of this is a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a great value. Because we can't live in a bubble. We can't just like surround ourselves only with like-minded people and be an instrument of reconciliation in the world we have to be willing to live our lives live the lives that God has called us to do that reflect his love and speak of what God has done for us when he gives us opportunity I'm going to have the band come up and uh, as as we've done previously um, we're going to we're going to wrap this up with our three postures so you guys ready for the this is not even the seventh inning stretch we're almost done So let's all stand. So we're going to start with the hardest one, our personal stretch. Okay? So uh, as best you can, let's all try to reach down and touch our toes right now and stretch ourselves. Oh, do I hear cracking? Or is that just me? Okay. Okay. Good job. Here's your personal stretch. Stretch by getting out of the Christian bubble. We we love Christian fellowship. We love being with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But that can become a prison. And it definitely can become like a place where our influence isn't influential. And it, it can be 
personally stretching for us to step outside of that. I want you to look for ways to do that. That's your stretch. Because remember, Jesus did say, I'm sending you into the world. So let's get out of the Christian bubble. The second stretch is to reach out. Try not to slap your neighbor. Go ahead, reach, reach. You reach outward by becoming an instrument of reconciliation, right? Okay, you can put your arms down. Um, if I'm willing to stretch myself and get out of the Christian bubble, when I'm out of it, I need to realize that I'm in this environment because I'm an instrument in God's hands of the reconciling work of Christ. That that's why I'm here. And then the last thing, to reach upward. We want to reach upward by trusting God with our fears. God, we're afraid, we feel weird, and we want your Holy Spirit to take over us, okay? That's it. Because you and I, we're, we're just like an instrument in the hands of God. We're, we're, not, we're not anything special. We, we don't have to have the, all the answers. We just need to play music for people and show them what Jesus is really like. And when we do that, God will give us a chance to share the words. And all you got to do is tell people what God did for you because you are an instrument in his hand for the sake of reconciling the world to God. Okay. Let's sing about that, Jed. You got a reconciling song for us or something? I know you do. Okay. Thanks, you guys. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.